Hello. Good morning to you. <sighs> We're a little bit scared today. Hi, Alistair. How are you? <laughs> A little bit scattered when our pastor's not here, so we're, um, we're winging it this morning. Um, you know, I really, um, I really love what you guys done with the prayer this morning, and, um, and I think, um, especially after the blessing, uh, because when we were singing the song, it was like we were singing it over these people, and um, before we even began to pray, I was already getting emotional, and, <laughs> and then me and Jess had a big fat cry in the corner. And, um, but it was awesome, though, because I think sometimes when we're praying for people, especially when we're asked to go and pray for people, sometimes we don't have our heart in it, and it's really important that we do. When we're praying for people, we pray from that place of love and pray from that place of, of God's heart for them, you know? And so, yeah, that was beautiful. That was awesome. Um, I had to collect myself again because I was like, oh, that's right, I'm preaching. So <laughs> I, um, so for those of you that don't know me, I'm pretty sure I know most people in the room, but I just wanted to give just a, a, little, a little background um, just in case. And um, so I grew up, um, my name is Rebecca, by the way. Um, I, grew up, I grew up in the church. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Um, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up um, to know the Lord. Um, my father was a, my stepdad was a pastor. And so I grew up um, going to church multiple times in the week. I went to every service, to every prayer meeting, to every conference, to every training seminar, um, worship nights, you name it, I was there. And, um, and I had this real love right from when I was a child. My mum said when I was three years old, I was up there worshipping the Lord. And she said, you just, you were different. You, you just really uh, was connected to the Lord well as a child. And I remember as I was seven years old, I was studying the Word of God. I was studying Revelations. That's how weird I was. Um, <laughs> Um, I found an old Bible and I had little notes at the back of, you know, Mark, Mark of the Beast and all sorts of weird things. Um, so, but I was, I loved the Lord and, um, and I, there was something in me. I knew that I was going to be in ministry one day. I knew that it was the path that God was going to put me on. I just, I wanted to serve the Lord. I didn't care how that was. I just wanted to serve him. And, um, you know, as I became a teenager, the enemy comes in and he's, and he's, derails you a little bit, and that's what happened to me. I backslid and walked away from the Lord and um, made some really dumb choices in my life, but by the grace of God, He kept me alive, and I shouldn't be here today. There were many things that happened as a teenager um, that could have taken my life easily, but the Lord the Lord stepped in and protected me even in that time because He knew that I was going to come back to Him. And so at 21, I gave my life back to the Lord. And um, on the same year, I got married to Tiu. And um, we started off, um, we had a very interesting marriage. Some of you guys already know our story. We had a bit of a rocky road um, for, for a few years, probably about the first nine years of our marriage. We're actually 18 years married this month, which is nanas. So that's pretty cool, eh? I don't feel that old. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. Um, but me and Tiu, we, because of what God done in our lives and he re restored our marriage and just performed a miracle in our lives, we, um, we feel to live our life as an open book. And we feel to, to live um, very vulnerably and very open to everyone around us. And that's why you'll hear us sharing a lot about our marriage and the rawness of it and, um, and all of our struggles along the way. And um, because we believe that it's all about glorifying God. And God is still in the business of miracles today. 
and it's not always the click of the fingers as we want the wave of the hand. It, often it's through people's transformation in their lives. And so we feel to share that all day, every day. So that's why we do what we do. Um, you guys will know, most of you will know, breathe, gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm doing it to you. Um, <laughs> Um, Most of you guys would have heard that we've had um, struggles in our life with infertility. That has been going on 18 years. And we've lost multiple children, um, never been able to hold a child of our own. And so um, we've been very honest and open about that as well. Again, we just felt the Lord saying, just share it because I'm doing a work in there and I want people to know what I'm doing. And as we've gone through that journey, we've realized that it isn't so much of a physical issue than it is a spiritual issue. And as God has been taking us through that, he's been showing us that sometimes the real issue at hand is not what we think it is. And I want to talk to you guys about that today. I want to talk about the under the surface stuff. And uh, yeah, it is scary. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, we're going underneath. (laughs) And then you can turn to your other neighbor and say, it might be painful. So so get ready. Um, But I've been committed to this journey with the Lord of going deep with him. Um, that journey has often been lonely because I'm kind of like the black sheep of my friend group. None of my other friends have wanted to go into ministry or anything else. They, a lot of them believe in the Lord, but ministry is not their thing. And um, even turning up to church often is not their thing either. Um, <laughs> but, but it is something that I'm convic- convicted deeply about. And it's something that I'm committed to is just going deep with the Lord and allowing him to do that work in me that needs to be done so that I can show his glory in this earth. And so um, last week um, I was sitting at home and I haven't done a lot of things in ministry lately. I haven't preached for a long time. Um, Often I don't, I preach once a year. That's often how it happens. And so it's not very much to get me comfortable with it. Um, So last week I was sitting at home and, um, and I I just sensed there was a shift in my season, that season of feeling a bit lonely, feeling like God had me um, isolated a little bit so that he could do a deep work in me. And then he was going to, he, he, I felt him saying to me, I'm going to bring you back into ministry again soon, um, where you're going to be surrounded by people and you're going to be looking for your isolation again, you know, like I'm going to be needing that space again. And so, so just lap up the time of loneliness because you're going to want it soon. So I was like, okay, Lord, I got that. And so anyway, I found myself going through a journal of mine. I I used to write all the time in my journal, just things God was saying to me and doing and and just wanted to record it because I felt I would, I'm not, I don't have a very good memory. And so I just wanted to be able to go back on it years to come. And so I went back on on this journey, uh, on this journal and I was reading old prophecies that had been spoken over me. And I was just reading through them, and I only sort of write down the prophecies that I really know was from God. Like, it, I just, I knew it in my spirit that, yeah, that, that, that resounds, that, that sounds like the Lord to me. And it's something that he's already spoken. It's probably a confirmation of something. So I'm reading through these prophecies and just reminding myself of who I am and what I'm called to. So when the time comes, I'm, I'm, I, and I'm preparing myself now, I'm, I'm getting ready to walk into these things. And as I'm going through, I came across the sermon that I had started writing about eight or nine months ago the sermon that I'm going to speak out today. And I realized the reason I couldn't speak it out at the time, I couldn't finish it off, was because God was taking me through what I'm about to speak about. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to, I feel like it's time to finish it off. And I could, I could, I could finish it. And I just said under my breath, just in my heart to the Lord, I just said, Lord, when you're ready for me to speak this out, I will. I'm just making myself available. 
That was last week. And then on Sunday, Shannon walked up to me in the morning and said to me, Bex, what are you doing next week? You want to preach? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then went, no, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) So for 24 hours, I was debating with myself and I was like, I messaged him and said, oh, you know, I'll be a backup for someone, like, you know. And then, um, have you ever had what feels like God glaring at you? Like, you know, like, we just had this conversation, Bex, you know. And, um, and actually, what, one of the things that God's working out in me at the moment and going deep with me is to fight against that feeling of inadequacy that the enemy tries to put on you. And I just felt the Lord saying, do not let him win over you this time. You stand up there and you do it. And so I'm here, and I'm preaching, and I'm being obedient to the Lord. And Cool. And, and I, yeah, I just, I really want to, I, w- I want to talk to you guys this morning about just some of the things that he's been saying to me. And this isn't so much of a three-point sermon. This is more about thoughts and observations and the journey of what God has been taking me on. And I just want to take you guys along for the ride. Is that all good? So you might not have a three-step manual or any, you know, sort of steps along the way, but perhaps something will speak to your heart as I'm speaking it out. How many of you know that when God deals with me, he doesn't deal with you in the same way? When he speaks to me, he doesn't often speak to you in the same way. And the reason behind this is because we are all different. We all have our own paths. We might be going in the same direction, but we all have our own experiences, our own history, our own traumas, our own struggles, our own valleys and our own mountaintops. But in this, we, there is no blueprint that we can follow someone else's steps and go, yep, that'll work for me. And I believe the reason God does this is because he wants us to need him. He wants us to depend on him and have to work with the Holy Spirit in order to refine us and to make us into the image of Christ. I've worked many years with youth, and along those years, one of the things that I've learned is that when you come across misbehavior, addictions, mental health, illness, warped worldviews, whatever it might be, all of these things often have underlying issues. And so when you're working with them, you can't look and try to address those things that are highly visible. You've got to look underneath, and you've got to work with them in the big picture. You've got to look deeper. And that's the same way that God works with us. The awesome thing about God, though, is that he doesn't have to guess what's going on for you. He knows exactly what's going on with you. And so in that, we can trust him, that when he's starting to deal with things in us, that he's about to make wholeness in us. You know, it might be painful at the time, but he's going to bring wholeness out of it. God deals with the spirit over the flesh, though. My first scripture for today is Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, and it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God doesn't deal with the simple surface stuff. No, he gets deep under those layers and deals with things much deeper. I want to read from the story of Naaman this morning. A lot of us, if we've been in church for a while, we would have heard it through Children's Church. Naaman is a a popular story, but as I read through it, I kind of saw some things and went, 
I see myself in that. And I wondered if anyone else could relate. And so I wanted to read from there, and my whole sermon is based on this story. So Naaman, uh, Naaman sorry, 2, 2 Kings 5, verse 1 to 14. So it's a little bit of a passage, but just so we get the whole context of the story, I'm going to read it out to you guys. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him from this leprosy or of this leprosy. So Naaman told the king uh, what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 700 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he is trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of the Lord, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet in Israel, here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to meet him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. <clears throat> I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and Farfa better than any Farpa? Better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed, and his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. <clears throat> so I just, I wanted to pick about the story a little bit and just look at Naaman as a person and find ourselves within the story. So this man was not only the commander of the Syrian army, but uh, that, that would have been commander over thousands of men, so he had huge responsibility. But he was also a valiant soldier, so he was very good at what he'd done. He was well-known, a wealthy celebrity pretty much. He would have had the best quarters. He had servants. He, he would have been someone in, that the kingdom would have looked up to, but under the surface, 
He was a man carrying a deadly disease which would make him an outcast, eventually killing him. The disease causes the body to rot while you're still living. His nerves would gradually die, causing body parts to lose sensitivity. Sores and scaly skin would appear all over his body. He would lose his hair, and the body would eventually disfigure. And due to infection, that would not, uh, that would not, recogni- would not be recognised because of nerve damage. He would lose his limbs, and before he would die, his whole face would be eaten away from the disease. A very humiliating, slow and painful way to die. That very body that made him famous was the very body that would be destroyed. When Naaman was given these very simple instructions, why did he not want to wash in the river? If you knew that you were going to die of such a terrible disease and you were given such simple instructions, why was that an issue? Remember that not only was he famous, but he was very wealthy. He would have been used to bathing in the best perfumes. And the River Jordan is one of the dirtiest rivers in Israel. And maybe he was too good for that. But not only that, maybe it was because he was having to expose himself in, the people around the, with, in front of the people that were around him. These people that were beneath him. His servants. Naaman wanted healing done in the way that he wanted. The wave of the hand. The easy way. But why did God direct the washing in the river? Can I suggest maybe it was to expose the pride of his heart? This man was well known to be a certain way. Perhaps perfect. Strong, valiant. The best of the best. But his illness made him just like anybody else, immortal, weak, and in need of help. Perhaps the years of him being honoured as this valiant soldier gave him a sense of superiority. It says that God brought victory through him, but there is no mention of him ever giving glory to God. In fact, it is clear that the glory was taken unto himself. In order to gain his healing, he needed to first swallow his pride. He needed to expose his weakness, his need for help, and then obey the instructions that God had given because God knew exactly what he needed. Today, I wonder how many times we get in the way of our own breakthroughs. Naaman almost gave up before he got his healing. In my infertility journey, I had to get really honest with the Lord. I had to admit that I didn't want to go all the way through fertility treatment all the way to IVF because I wanted to fall pregnant naturally so that I could claim some of the glory for myself. Look at what I achieved. Look at what my body done. Look at my efforts or even look at what my prayers done. God had given me specific steps to follow. And just like Naaman, it didn't really initially make sense to me. Because God could have just waved his hand, clicked his fingers and performed a miracle and given me a child, right? But God knew the condition of my heart. 
And he knew that I wouldn't give him the glory that he deserved. It says that God resists the proud, and he was committed to working that out of me as something far more important than just simply waving his hand and giving me a baby. When my marriage was on the rocks, I remember crying out to the Lord um, for almost the whole year. I remember being down on my knees and crying out and saying, God, fix our marriage, save our marriage. This, this is painful, you know. And I remember nothing changing. In fact, it was just getting worse. And I remember I felt the Lord really clearly say to my heart, Bex, if you're going to pray, you need to pray in the right way. You need to change your prayers. And I was like, God, well, how do I pray for this? I don't, I don't understand. And he asked me, you ask what I see. Ask me what's my heart for to you. Ask me what my priority is in this situation. And as I did, I found it was to you salvation. That was the number one priority in this situation. To you was not saved. I was asking, God, stop the pain, stop, stop the hurt, fix the marriage. But God was saying, I need to you in my kingdom. Because if that happens, then everything else will follow. Kingdom first, and then all these things shall be added unto you. You know that pride is the number one sin that existed in the beginning, and that's why Satan was cast out of heaven in the first place. But today, he continuously uses it against us, including us Christians. In fact, probably more us than anybody else, I'd say. <clears throat> Can I challenge you that under the surface of a lot of, a lot of our reoccurring issues in life is probably, or perhaps, the issue of pride being the real root of it? I do have examples, thank you for asking. <laughs> but if we looked at an issue, say anger, and research shows that anger is already a secondary emotion anyway, so something else triggers anger, it's not even a first you know, uh, response. But we're saying, God, help me with this anger, get this anger out of my life. And he says, yes. But the thing is, is that you were hurt by someone a while ago. And I challenged you to forgive them. And you chose not to because you wanted to hold them accountable for what they'd done to you. And in that, you put yourself in the place of the judge. And that is pride. What about the issue that we have of anxiety and depression? Now, hear me when I say this. Uh, this is a sensitive subject, even for myself, I've suffered with it. And I'm just giving an example, I'm not saying this is exactly what it is for everybody, but there is research that shows that this has a huge impact on anxiety and depression today. And that is the dilemma of social media. When we're praying to God and asking to be set free from this anxiety and depression, but each day we sit on social media, constantly comparing our lives to other people's highlight reels, that are filtered and fake, by the way. And now you are addicted to those likes on those posts. And you're already looking at yourself thinking, I need to look like this or I need to sound like that. I need to have things like that. I need to have a partner like that. <clears throat> and now we're depressed and full of anxiety trying to add up to someone we were never meant to be. 
when we look at some research in the, in the past 25 years, anxiety and depression has increased by 70%, the same amount of time that social media has been around. Coincidence, maybe? But can I say it again? It is a game of pride. Why? Because it's the focus of self. Even insecurity is you focusing on yourself. I hate how much I like praise. Sorry if this is a little bit intense, guys, but I really felt like God was saying just share, share what he's been sharing with me. And so I battle with my flesh a lot over the approval of man. Yeah? Um, over, over God's approval. I'm often driven by the need to be accepted or recognized. And if I'm not careful, it can poison me in the call of God on my life. I have to be really careful every time I take the stage not to focus on myself and to remember who I'm standing here for. I remember when I would be so focused on singing well or preaching funny that I would get lost in what I was actually doing there. And I would wait for the praise afterwards from people to boost my ego further. And then if I didn't get it, then I would flip to the other side and I'd be like, I'm useless and I'm never doing it again. Never mind what God says. But another thing that I don't like is being corrected. Hey, darling. <laughs> or being told that I've done something wrong. <laughs> and that's because I often allow my worth to be wrapped up in what I do. Do you know a good test of whether you're dealing with pride or not is how well you take correction? Do you get your back up or do you beat yourself up? Still pride. Pride isn't just arrogance which can be easily recognised. It's just as easy inadequacy. It's all the focus on oneself. If Satan can't get you to be arrogant, he'll find a way for you to feel inadequate. But if we can get our eyes off ourselves and onto God, how our lives would change. Shannon shared last week that we need to be more God-conscious than self-conscious. What would that look like? If we shifted our focus to look and listen to God, we got rid of all the mirrors in our house, so to speak, our vision would become like his. He would work with you by restoring you into his image step by step as you focus on him. Look anywhere else and we become like what we think the world wants us to and not what God has designed us to be. Do you know so many of us walk into church looking like we have it all together? I speak for myself on this one. I know I've done it multiple times. Hi, Vex, how are you? Yeah, no, good. Blessed and highly favoured. But during the week I'm freaking out and I'm actually struggling really deeply in life. Do you know, sometimes having a gift or something that you're good at can actually put pressure on you to perform as well. I bet, in a way, Naaman carried the expectation of his reputation. He was a great man. He couldn't be seen to be falling apart, right? Do you know, great leaders have been known to fall terribly, not always because they're evil people, but because they've neglected to go deep with the Lord and commit to working on those underlying issues. Instead, they hide behind their gift 
and ended up in worse states and hurting so many people around him. You know, your weakness is an opportunity for his strength. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, be holy as I am holy. It's Jesus saying it. Be holy as I am holy. And one translation says, be perfect as I am perfect. And I know that this trips up a lot of people today. And that's because of the way that we look at that word perfect. The original Greek word that was used in this context was the word hagios, which means to be complete, mature, different to the world, or more accurately, set apart. The worldly perfectionism is not the same as his holiness. Our interpretation in this world of perfectionism is this. A person's concern with striving for flawlessness and perfection and is accompanied by critical self-evaluations and concerns regarding others' evaluations. Perfectionism drives people to be concerned with achieving unattainable ideals or unrealistic goals that often lead to many forms of adjustment problems such as depression, anxiety, OCD, OCPD, and low self-esteem. This is not what God is asking of us. To be set apart for the Lord means that your focus and your surrender is totally to him, not to man or to yourself. A work of holiness can only be done by the grace of God through his power of work in you. When we set ourselves apart for the Lord, we're saying to him, God, you can have all of me, my good, my bad, and my ugly the things I know about myself and the things I don't. And I'm committing to the process of being refined by you. A completed work, a work of maturity. Through that process, people watching your life will not only see that you're different, but they'll see that you're secure and stable in who you are in God. In the process of making gold, a lot of people know this, but it's put through the fire and melted down And then all the impurities come to the surface so that it can be skimmed off and what's left is pure gold. You know when it talks about the baptism of fire in the Bible? That's exactly what it's talking about. Our job is to commit to the process of the refiner's fire and be prepared to repent so that God can skim all the impurities away, leaving us as pure as gold. Humility and surrender is the opposite to pride. Naaman had to give all of himself to God and the process, revealing what was hidden, making him vulnerable and completely in the hands of God. He literally had to go under the surface of the water, not once, but seven times, in order to find his healing. No, seven in the Bible represents complete, a completed work, not a surface job. It says that once Naaman had done what God had said, not only was he completely healed of his disease, but the skin was better than it was to begin with. It was back like a child again. I would love to have skin like that again. Thank you, Lord, when you're ready. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's what happens when we give ourselves over to God. He makes you better than what you were to begin with. The Word says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God wasn't interested in just healing Naaman's skin. He wanted to go deeper and heal his heart. 
Naaman was a changed man from that day. It actually says that he confessed with his mouth that he would serve the God of Israel and he would renounce his own. God knew. I'm almost finished, guys. I just want to share a quick story. Um, It's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. You asked here about this one. But um, (laughs) I prayed a prayer about four years ago, um, which woke me up to this idea of letting God take you deeper. And um, Can we put it up, please? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I prayed this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I felt something was off in me, um, what led me to pray this prayer. There was, there was a little bit of anger. I could sense there was a little bit of anger, and I was still getting a little bit triggered uh, with some of the memories of our past and stuff in our marriage. And um, I was like, God, I just there's something there. I, still, I know that there's something there. And I want you to deal with it in me. And so I prayed this prayer and I said, Lord, you know, you do what you need to do. Expose if there's something there. And I kind of regretted praying that prayer because um, for the next two weeks, I actually started manifesting um, like I was possessed. And uh, it was a little bit scary. It was scary for me. It was scary for Tio at the time. Um, he kind of laughed it off, but really he was like, you know, um, but what? What had happened, it would, me and Tia, Tia would say one little thing to me, and I would explode. Like, and I had, I've, I'm not an angry person, typically. I'm not an angry person. Um, and I would explode out onto him, and I would have these um, disgusting, I would swear at him and have these disgusting words. This is only four years ago. I'm already saved. I already know the Lord. But it, and it happened just after I prayed that prayer, and it happened about four times um, and these arguments were, were just small arguments. They were, it was nothing. It were like, we've had way worse arguments. I've never done that before. And so about four times I spazzed out. And the last time that I spazzed out, um, T was on his way to, to soccer practice. And he just, he looked at me, walked out the door, closed the door, and he took off. And he just said nothing. And, I, and it made me even more wild. And then I, I rang him. <laughs> I was like... And T was like, hello, thinking that I was going to say sorry. And I just carried on going. And I was just like, rah, 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 you know. And, um, and he just hung up on me. And actually, one of the other times that I'd done it, um, <laughs> T stood up and he said, you don't get to talk to me like that. And he walked away. And I was just, it just it drove me absolutely nuts because what was happening inside of me had actually nothing to do with T. It was always between me and God. And I needed to get alone with him and he needed to not respond to me, which is so good. God protected him in that time and really gave him wisdom. And on the last time that I'd done it, I just cried out to the Lord and I was like, what is going on with me? This is disgusting. This is not who I am. This is disgusting. And the Lord said to me, you asked me to show you what was in your heart. It was always there, Bex, but you never asked me to deal with it. And so I remember really repenting and just saying, Lord, please forgive me. I, you know, I, I don't want this in my life anymore. And a lot of it was unforgiveness that I was holding towards to you, things that were, had been done in the past that I just never let go. And so I really, really um, repented and, and got before the Lord. And I've never done that ever since. And I know that the Lord took that from me on that day. But it, I think it's so important that we actually, you know, 
would you be brave enough to pray that prayer? Um, it's kind of scary, though, when it happens because a lot of things that come out, you didn't know it was there. Um, <laughs> but I actually found myself praying that prayer again yesterday, so it can't have been that bad. Sorry, darling, if something else happens. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, we are called to go through, continuously go through that refiner's fire, right? We are, we are becoming like Christ more and more every day. And it's not just one time God clicks his fingers, we're all done, everything's perfect now. No, there is always a work that God is wanting to do in you. And all we have to do is commit to it. We just have to say, Lord, I trust you. I, I want to be as you've called me to be. And... Um, can I, um, Jess, where is Jess? I have um, Jess come up. I, um, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 11 to 14 says this. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. One thing that I've said to the Lord um, is, Lord, deal with, me, deal with anything in me now before you give me children so that they don't have to deal with that as well. How many of you know that if you have unresolved issues, your kids will carry those as well if you haven't dealt with them? And that's not fair on them. Shannon spoke about legacy. And when we say to Jesus that you're Lord of my life, that means we aren't anymore. And that we're committing to the refining process for not only our freedom, but for the generations to follow also. I wanna leave you with this thought. And then, yeah, we'll get you to, Jess is gonna sing this song. A lot of you might know it. It was, it was dear to me when I was younger and I was in church and it meant a lot to me. We'd sing it a lot and I, I knew that God was doing a, a big work in the church at the time. And I just want to leave you with this thought and we're going to sing it together. But people today are needing to see others that are different. People that can't help but shine God's glory. And those searching for truth will be drawn to that in you. I believe that we shouldn't have to Bible bash people in order to convince them that God is real and that they're sinners and that they need Him. We need to show Him that He's real by allowing ourselves to go through the fire a few times. His glory will rest on you and they will see the light. And so I wondered if you guys might stand with us this morning as we sing Refiner's Fire one time and can I just encourage you if there's anything this morning that has come up for you, if you felt like God was saying, I need to take you through this, or there are some stuff underneath that I need to deal with and you haven't allowed me to yet. Um, I don't think it matters how old you are. I think I'll still be going through the fire when I'm 80. <laughs> but um, can I just encourage you this morning, if you need any prayer or anything, we'll just make ourselves available for you. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm going through it again because I need it. I know that I'm not there yet. And I really, really want to be all that God has called me to be. I want to be a light in this darkness. I want to show His glory for who He truly is. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see God. And so yeah, let's sing the song and we'll be here for you.